All right, guys. Uh, welcome back to the training table after a hiatus for a pretty good reason, uh, which we're going to go over right now. Nick has gone through all of the things with his yeah. gyms. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Yeah. And I want to talk it out. So obviously, you know, I, I've listened to other people talk about this where social media influencers or, you know, podcasters were like, being vulnerable or this idea of like sharing your story is important, but <clears throat> sometimes, a lot of times, you shouldn't be doing it when you're in the shit because number one, you don't know what's going to happen next. And then also you don't have perspective. Um, so I would say you were in it for, I don't know, the last four to six months. And yeah, yep. behind yeah. the scenes, I was getting a lot of updates, but, um, I figured we could talk about it now. Yeah, I was. That's a good way to say it. I was. I was in the shit for a couple months, uh, probably from was it like October first to now? What is today? February first. So like that period of time was slightly tumultuous. Um, it was a. It was a fantastic threshold tester of both um, stress and energy. You know. Hmm. Um, yeah, it was it was a, it was a real interesting experience. I'm really glad that we're we're through the tunnel. So, at a high level, you you basically went from you know three gyms or two gyms to one. Like you consolid you consolidated down. Yeah, um, yeah. But with that came uh, a number of uh, lease issues, um, moving issues. Um, like you were scrambling, uh, you tried to buy your building. So you tell like, where do you want to start with this? Oh man. Yeah. What a, what a confusing story. It's, it's hard to get the timeline together. Um, so the, like you said, at the highest level, what we did was we, we consolidated from two physical locations to one. It's a shark mm -hmm. fitness nutrition. Um, and uh, I know that in the gym space, it's not really common to talk about when things don't go as well as you'd like. Right. I don't think that's doing a service to other gym owners who are trying to build their business. So like you and I know that like we, we don't feel that way. I share all my wins and losses. And I know you do too. Um, but I think that this could be a, a really good experience. Some, especially someone who's thinking about expanding um, to like learn from this. Okay. So went from two physical locations to one um, setting the stage. Uh, both locations were profitable. Right. Um, but there was extreme extreme expenditure of like time and energy to maintain more than one physical location. Um, and anybody who has more than one location of a service-based business uh, probably knows exactly what I mean. It's like uh, the, the overall feeling is that like one plus one doesn't equal two. One plus one equals like 2.75, you know? Um, and that's kind of what it feels like, you know, wherever, whatever you work in gyms or otherwise, you know, plumbing, pumping, it only takes one toilet at a time, you know? Somebody doesn't show up to fix a toilet, you can go handle that. Uh, in the gym space, same thing. Something as very simple as like, somebody doesn't show up to go for a class, you can always fix that problem. You take two of them or three of them or five of them, and that is no longer the case, you know? Um, and that's like a very, very like minute version of it. But like that hopefully illustrates the idea of having multiple locations, right? Does that make sense? 100%. Parents would say that too about kids. Like going from one to two is not really just adding another one because there's more logistics 
And then two to three, not that I have three, but you know, those who have more than two kids would say the same. So, and I see it the same way because gyms are very much like families, uh, at least those strong ones, because they might, people might come in for the fitness, they stay for the community as the common saying goes. So people, people capital uh, in terms of like who's there, who's running the show is super important and you can't be in two places at once. So, uh, you know, obviously, or, you know, the goal is to try to replicate Nick, but that is almost always impossible. Um, so you got to figure out what your best case scenarios are. Yeah. Right. Like, and I know, you know, we as mentors and anybody who's been in this space for a while talks about as you elevate, you replace yourself with somebody of a similar competency level, right? You attempt to do that. Um, but we all do know that there is a drop-off. People want to pretend there's not, but there absolutely is. You know, there's, Nobody's ever going to care about your business as much as you care about your business, even if they genuinely want to. They're just not going to, you know, and um, most people are lucky to find one person at their one location who can do an incredibly well uh, version of that. But like to find two or to find three, you know, creates even more complexity. And that's that's something I experienced for sure. Um, Post being done. Right. So like I had I had two locations for three and a half years. Right. And. Um, step one opened a week before COVID hit in Florida. And obviously COVID in Florida wasn't the same thing as COVID in a lot of other places, but it did shut us down and it did alienate me to a lot of whole people, or a whole lot of people that I was hoping to come into with a nice, great welcoming. It's like, Hey, what's up? I'm the new owner. Your gym's closing. Uh, that sucked. But honestly, like three and a half years, most of it was really good. Um, I enjoyed it. It was a lot of fun. Um, I think we helped a lot of people. We paid a lot of staff, a lot of money, and I'm really proud of that. Lots of mortgages relied on those locations. Um, lots of people who had never been involved in fitness came into the gyms. Uh, so like when I look back on it, I think about like those are probably the parts that will stand for me the most. Not the stressful parts, but like we got to double the amount of people we were able to help from a normal gym. Um, like to me, that's really really fulfilling. But give, give people that, a sense of um, of distance, like how far apart were your gyms? And also, how did you staff them? Did you have completely separate staff at each or did you share? Good question. Good question. So my gyms were about 15 minutes apart from each other, which I think in most places would probably seem too close. And I understand why you would think that. Uh, geographically, I live in a city called Cape Coral. There's another town right next to it called Fort Myers, which is a little bit more popular, a little bit more well-known around the country. And there's a river separating those two cities. And man, it may as well be a fucking moat. Like people just do not cross it. You know, nobody from Fort Myers goes to Cape Coral if they don't have to. Nobody from Cape Coral goes to Fort Myers if they don't have to. If this, if this river wasn't there, these gyms would be like six minutes apart, right? But the the clientele could not be more different demographically, uh, you know, socioeconomic, socioeconomically, racially, like everything is different, you know? So the 15 minutes probably strikes somebody as like, that's too close. But for us, it may as well have been an hour. You know, the members had the opportunity to go back and forth between gyms for at least a year, three three years, and like maybe like four or five times, you know. Um, but uh, yeah, so those gyms were were, were far apart, um, and they definitely. I think the biggest difference was that there was definitely like a um, sort of like a blue collar versus white collar, not versus so much, but one gym was definitely more blue collar, one gym was definitely more white collar. Mm-hmm. Um, one gym definitely had the vibe of uh, members who were there to like work out and have fun. And uh, it was recreation as much as it was health. You know, the other gym was definitely more like people are just 
kind of coming in, they're looking to get their workout in, they're leaving. And uh, coincidentally, that, that's the gym that ended up closing down. It was the one where people didn't have as strong as an emotional investment um, to the place. Now, like, they saw great results. They had fun. They received a service. They paid money. Like, it was – everybody got what they were trying to get there. Um, yeah. But just very different experiences. <clears throat> Let's um, put, a, put a pause on that and go back to your other – your first – your main location um, because you tried to buy that building. Um, yeah. And you, you, so backstory is basically you would be asking the landlord to buy the building for what years, right? Dude, probably, probably four or five years at this point. Yeah. And you know, that's yeah. like, that's, that's one of the great ways for, for gym owners to, to step up into their next level of like wealth and retirement building is to hopefully attain the real estate that either they live in or, or that, or that they can move their business to. Like that's a, a slightly more organic um, way to accomplish that than like buying a shopping center or something, you know, um, right. I'm sure many gym owners are like, I'd love to buy my building. And I was absolutely one of those people, you know? Yeah. Now he was resistant forever. Right. But then something changed. Yeah. He was super resistant. Uh, he was almost worse than resistant. He was like apathetic, you know, mm. uh, it was, I, I would try to communicate, Hey man, this is like an important thing to me. I, you know, I, I would like to move forward with this. I, I believe I have the means or at least the, the ways to acquire the means like let's let's do this i'm i'm an interested buyer and my my guess is probably a mixture of a couple things he lived in another state he lived up by you in the northeast um he bought this building a very very long time ago so he was receiving like the definition of mailbox money right so he's not mm -hmm. super motivated to to do that i think also most people think gym owners are broke people who live in their garages or, or like in the back of their cars so like <laughs> I, I can understand why he may have not have assumed that I was a legitimate buyer, you know? Um, he wasn't but, taking you seriously. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Like I get it. We're, we're, we're in very different portions of our life and I, I don't know that he took it all that seriously, but um, yeah, for years I was like, look, I'm here. When can we do this? We got to a point where eventually he was like, yeah, if I sell it, you'll be the one I sell it to. I was like, okay, like I can't force your hand. I'm, I'm, I'm comfortable with that. Um, that a couple months ago, uh, I remember I texted you right after I got the message. He was like, yeah, let's do it. Kind of came out of nowhere. He must have had some changes in life. Um, probably had other goals he wanted to move on to. He's an older guy, so I imagine he started to think about his legacy and his family and what he wanted to do with these investments he made. Um, and I was like, okay, but I'd love to do this. Let's, let's do this. How much do you want for it? Because uh, I had tried to get to that point multiple times, and we had never gotten that far. So he laid out a number, it's about a million bucks, which in Florida is like very realistic because all of you Northeasterners buy all of our real estate down here. Um, you know, uh, for a 5,000 square foot building with a couple extra lots attached to it, <laughs> he asked me to make an offer. I said, okay, uh, I made an offer. It was an admittedly pretty aggressive offer. I did not expect it to be accepted. Um, I thought that was our starting point. Uh, he came back and said, I've accepted another offer. That's not even close. You have a week to match it. Um, and what what was that? What did he expect? So my my offer was one hundred percent owner financing, which I didn't expect him to be on board with. Um, Can you explain his, what that is for people who oh, might not know? Yeah. So anybody trying to buy anything for the purpose of this conversation, real estate, um, take something that's one hundred thousand dollars rather than give somebody one hundred thousand dollars the seller would effectively finance you out the opportunity to pay that $100,000 over a period of time 
probably with some amount of interest. So, you know, say a thousand bucks a month for however long that takes or whatever, right? Um, it's a really popular way for people who don't have, you know, a million bucks in the bank to acquire more expensive things. Like as an example, when I bought my business partners out of my business, that's how I did it because I didn't have that money. Very common for people to buy their their uh, gyms if they're a coach at the gym. Very common for people to sell a house to like a family member or a friend who doesn't have the means, but they want to help them out. Um, it's not an uncommon thing in the commercial real estate world, especially it's when also, it's a relationship. Yeah, and it can be beneficial for the seller uh, because if uh, rather than getting whether it's a million or even um, you know that initial down payment um, and it being seen as you know capital gains where they got to pay tax on it, they would rather spread out payments over a longer period of time and get that total amount. So it can work for both, uh, which is what you offered first, but he wasn't taking it. I mean, like you know, transparency. What little I understood of our arrangement that we were trying to achieve, like I thought that was his goal. It seemed mm. like the concurrent money, either for him or for his family members, was like what he cared about, you know. Right. So either way, I made an offer. It was aggressive. I expected a counter offer. I did not expect a hard. Also, I've been talking to someone else this whole time. That must have been what changed behind the scenes, you know. Uh, right. So he gave me, uh, like I said, it was a million dollar building. The offer he had accepted was five hundred thousand dollars up front. Which is an incredible 50% down payment. 50% down payment. Um, and then he would own her finance. The rest of it, the other five thousand. Three months, sorry, three months, uh, three years at like 6% or 7%. I can't remember which one. Um, and it wasn't like, this is what I would like, and then let's work towards uh, a more amenable solution to both of us. It was, I've already accepted this offer from somebody else. You have a week to match. Um, well, actually, that's not true. He said I had two weeks, but this is a Monday, and I left for my honeymoon on Thursday to go yeah, can we, the country. Yeah, can, let's give the backdrop also that you had just gotten married and were leaving for your honeymoon. Yeah, leaving leaving the country for two, for about two weeks, four days after this conversation happened. So you <laughs> needed to come up with five hundred thousand dollars in a few days. To basically uh, be able to uh, buy your building. And I think also uh, some people might realize this, but just to spell it out, the you were either going to buy your building or someone else was going to buy your building and then you were at risk of being kicked out as a tenant because these new buyers can do whatever they want. Yeah, correct. And a caveat to this story, like an important important piece of context is that I was on a month-to-month lease of this building. I've been trying to achieve a long-term lease for a very long time. The owner wouldn't do it. I kept getting getting told, like, don't worry, man. You're not going anywhere. We've been doing this for seven years. Like, we, we don't need to do that. And I recognize that that's, like, not the right call. But when you live in a place with limited real estate, you don't really have an option around that, you know? Like, I was paying an undervalued price, and I knew that. And where I live, gyms can't be in industrial buildings. So I was grandfathered in, like, under an old law. But if I moved, there wasn't anywhere else to go. So the, the month-to-month lease put me in a very dangerous situation, but you're expecting to be negotiating in, under good conscience, like with, you know, an, an honest conversation with somebody. It turns out that that wasn't the case. So, um, okay. So four days to get $500,000. Uh, he, I, I do remember at one point he said, I'm going to give you the time to do it, but I know you won't be able to do it. Oof. I'll be honest. My reaction to him on the phone was like, why the fuck not? 
right. I was I was pretty offended that he said that. Um, although yep. full transparency, to anyone listening, I don't have five hundred thousand dollars. Like I couldn't have done that. Um, but he said the banks won't give it to you, and I was like, all right, man, challenge accepted. Uh, so I hung up the phone, and I had to come to terms with something really quickly. That I had been looking for a new place for our building for our gym for a very long time, right? Like it was a, a concurrent search, and there was nothing. Like my city has very strange rules on what businesses can be in what spaces. Um, our population has like tripled since 2020 because of all the people moving to Florida to get away from the, the places they don't like. Um, so there's like an extremely high population, extremely high number of businesses looking for locations. And our, our commercial building hasn't kept up with that. Our residential has, our commercial has not, right? Um, so for frame of reference, there's like 500,000 people who live in my city. And there's like 106 commercial buildings, you know, like it's extremely limited. So when you have the opportunity to get one, you try to get one, you know? Um, so uh, I knew there weren't other options. So I was like, all right, I got to make, I got to make this happen. Um, so I did. I, I communicated with a lot of people that we've met. And mm-hmm. I was able to, to pull the opportunity for the funds together. You literally put out a uh, Facebook and Instagram post saying, if anyone has money sitting around and wants to invest it, let me know. And people reached out to you. Yeah, they, they did. Um, that was a that that was a really eye opening moment for me for a couple different reasons. One, it was a really cool confirmation of the trust I've established with a lot of other people. You know, um, be, people were offering really really large sums of money, and that was awesome not because of the high dollar value but because they they trusted this like kid who used to work at a liquor store like so that he could afford to coach to handle their four hundred thousand dollar investment like that was awesome that felt really really good for me um it was also really cool to see that like you, you and i talk about this in our mastermind all the time but like we i think sometimes we live in an environment in which we're like opportunities are only x you know they're only y and this was like oh shit the opportunity is much higher than I would have possibly fathomed before this. You know, I, I now know that I can accumulate $500,000 in four days. Like there's Got risk yeah. that comes it, with that. It raised your, but... your uh, level of what you think is possible. Oh, I mean, the glass ceiling was literally shattered in that moment. Yeah. I, I, I couldn't believe it. And now you can't unknow it, you know, now that you know that. Right. right. Um, yeah. So, uh, I, I did, I did gain access to all the money and, um, after a couple of just incredibly stressful days of hard thought and lots of Google Sheet mathematics, um, and honestly hard conversations with you and other people I trust a lot, like came to came to the decision that like it wasn't a good idea, even though I had wanted it and it was something I've been working towards for a long time. The numbers just didn't work. You know, they didn't they didn't work at all. Our rent would have gone up from. Yeah, you know, the the rent that the gym was paying for the business would have gone from about forty five hundred dollars to about nine thousand, which could have been done, but would have been extreme risk, probably an unnecessary risk. Um, and then you know, like full transparency, the landlord had been a piece of shit for a good couple of years, and he'd been refusing to fix anything in the building. Right. So we we've had two hurricanes. No, sorry, four hurricanes during the time I've been in that building. It actively rained inside the building. We had so. Um, we had in our in our agreement that like when it was time to sell, 
what we basically decided was like, all right, if there's things broken, it's your, it's like you, meaning me, the tenant, had to fix it. So I fixed a mixture of what I could afford and what I thought was a priority. Um, it was it was now a realization that like once I had made this extreme financial risk, there was also like two hundred thousand dollars worth of repairs that this building needed. You know, um, you like you but know there- this in the gym. In the gym space, we have contractors and friends who like know these things, and I'm lucky enough to have a lot of them. And they were very open with me about the expense I would be about to take on the moment this was now my responsibility. Yeah. If I'm you, there is an element though of wanting to just stick it to this guy and just buy his building, just just to say, I could do, I can do it. You know. Yeah, yeah, you're totally right. You know, and like that was. I would be 100% lying if I didn't say there was a, a massive ego portion of me that was like, right. I, I did the thing you said I couldn't do. And I, I upheld my end of the bargain that we've been negotiating for years. You know, like, um, and it was really hard to make the decision to walk away from it. But like, I was pretty proud of, of the, the gain in maturity that that was on me. Because a couple of years ago, I absolutely would have made that decision. Um, right. Fully knowing that it was probably not the safest bet. And you know that I'm risk averse at all. But this was extremely risky high yeah. financial level that I, I'm not yet experienced with. And um, I was, I was like months later, myself, I was able to walk. Away. It, it hurt. Like it hurt so bad. It hurt. Cause it was like the golden goose that we're all searching for, you know, grabbing that first giant piece of commercial real estate, especially <clears throat> the one that we're in. Um, I had it and I had to make the decision to turn away from it. And that was really challenging. So, you know, skipping, basically you, you didn't buy the building uh, nope, and not. you are also nope. not in that building anymore. No, I'm not. I am not. Um, so, so what did you find and how did you find it? And what, yeah, you know, you, and you were also dealing with, with you know, not dealing, you were on your honeymoon. So you, you come back and you have to move. Yeah. You know, so I, <clears throat> All, that whole story I basically just said was a four-day story. You know, I, it was Monday, the initial conversation. I left on Friday. Thursday is when I finally made the decision to like, nah, I'm not doing this, you know. Um, man, what a, what a just incredible emotion during four days. Uh, so, I, like I said, I've been looking for a new place just uh, educationally, you know, just, just as a means of knowing what's available for a period of time. And I was very aware that there was nothing available. Um, I also had the insight into just doing all the math on what the loan to buy this building would be. So I knew how much our rent was about to raise, you know? Um, it's unrealistic to assume that a new buyer would come in and just let us be under market value. Like, can I be, you know, I had no expectations of that. Um, I was not prepared for the amount that the new buyer wanted to raise the rent to, uh, which was 12500 Up from, what'd you say, four grand? Uh, 4500 yeah. 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 Uh, don't live in a super high cost of living area. That's not realistic here at all. Mm. You know? um, but like I said earlier, there's so few industrial buildings that like, you know, there's somebody who will pay that. Um, so I started looking for a new place. Uh, again, I knew there wasn't one. I went on Loop, uh, LoopNet, Crexy. I contacted a bunch of brokers in the area, but you know, like we're smaller fish compared to the like Walmarts that are trying to take up places. So they weren't super interested in us. Um, on a whim, I went into either LoopNet or Crexy, I can't remember which one, and I, I looked up um, expired listings, ones that were no longer active, uh, and I saw a place that fit our zoning. Um, 
shout out to a, a member of ours who's a, a realtor in the area. She confirmed it was the zoning because that's like a really big deal here. Mm-hmm. Um, but I remember the broker that was on the, on the listing. I had had a good interaction with her a couple of years prior. I had her number on my phone still. I just texted her and I said like, hey, I'm in trouble. Uh, I need a thing. You had a thing. Is there anything that's still available? Because this looks like it would fit for us. Mm-hmm. By a major stroke of luck and probably a stroke of like good interaction beforehand, she was like, yeah, I, I have a place. Uh, it's Somebody has, has submitted an LOI already, uh, but they're being big old jerks. Um, you're not a jerk. If you'd like <laughs> this place and you can meet the requirements, sign the paperwork. Uh, so this is Thursday. I leave Friday. Um, Friday morning, I submitted the paperwork and she's like, I can't say this yet, but you're good. Go enjoy your honeymoon. So basically you on a whim reached out to someone you had worked with or at least talked to before, mm-hmm. basically saying you were desperate. And she's like, actually, I have a place because even though someone, you know, says they're interested, they're not, they're dragging their feet on it. And mm-hmm. you obviously need to move. So we can make it happen. Yeah. I think this is just testament to like, you know, the idea of like personal relationships, like being a decent person, not burning any bridges, like realizing not because there you're, you should always be looking for people to do things for you, but just because of who you are. Um, she said that for a reason, right? Yeah. Yeah. I, I totally agree with you. And like, I want to make sure I don't give myself too many flowers here. Like I opened a business when I was 25. I definitely burned some, I burned some bridges, you know, like I, I much more immature version of Nick, quite a few bridges when I was much younger. Um, but uh, that, that it just shows like personal and professional growth matter, you know, right. so the person, this person met four or five years ago was not a bridge. <laughs> it mattered quite a bit. Yeah. Yeah. Personal relationships matter so much. We've, that's the beauty of a mastermind, right? It's like you, you develop like legitimate personal relationships. Like I, you know, you live in the Northeast. I live in Florida. We would have never met each other. So you were at my right. wedding a couple months ago. You know, like these things don't right. happen without finding opportunities to create like strong personal relationships with others. Um, yeah. So I'll tell you the, if I'm going to be honest, the scariest portion of that four days was the first look at my my business mortality, right? Was because there was a very most, I don't know if my members listen to this podcast, we'll find out soon. Most of them don't know this part. Um, there was a real portion of that where I thought I was shutting the gym down. And I didn't want that. What I mean is like, that wasn't, there was no option to fix that. And it was, I've never been afraid of like, oh, this challenge we have, because we'll just overcome this challenge. This was an right. unovercomeable challenge. Like there, yeah, you were going to be gymless. You, you, yeah. you were not going to have a place at all. Yeah, at all, and not because like, oh, these other places don't quite meet our perfect specifications. Like there was right. not a thing to move into, you know. Right, right. And that was a that was a very shitty feeling, you know. Yep, that sucked. That sucked, and that was a good motivator too, though. Like that was definitely like ass on the fire. Like get up, do something, you know. So you find this right before you're leaving for your two-week honeymoon in Greece. Yeah. Right before it's going to be very hard to contact me because I don't know how international services. Yeah. Right. 
but you're able to go away pretty much knowing not that you know the the new lease is signed but that you were able to get um what your your LOIN your letter yeah. of intent um mm-hmm. so at least there's something on paper and then when you get back is when you finalize that lease yeah, exactly yeah i got back a couple weeks later um it to them you know like they they didn't hassle me while I was gone. They didn't expect anything. I'd been very clear about when I wouldn't be available and when I would be available. The moment I got back, they were like, hey, we need this, this, this. I gave them this, this, this. They needed a couple more things. I gave them a couple more things. Everything worked out. They held up their end of the bargain. I held up mine. It's fantastic. Amazing. Yeah. Now, while you were dealing with this, you are also <laughs> um, uh, trying to figure out what you want to do with your other location. Yeah, um, because we had some staff changes, and uh, you basically had to make a decision uh, whether to keep it and figure out the staff changes or shut it down. Yeah, you know, um, anybody in our space can relate to the fact that the hardest part of the business is staffing. Right? You know, there there are lots of other things that are hard. The hardest part, I think, the staffing is. Great staff are human beings, and they come with all of the struggles that human beings come with, you know, and those are all like perfectly valid and acceptable and okay, but like they don't make running a business any easier. Um, Especially one in which like so much of our business is personal connection related, you know, like uh, when I remember the realtor I bought my house from, he came up to me one time, this is years ago, and he was like, I don't know how you do this. I was like, what do you mean? He's like, when I work with somebody, like I talk to him a whole bunch for a couple weeks and then never again. You have to see me every day, mm-hmm. meaning like in the in the coach member relationship. You know? And um, yeah, like that's that, that really highlights like how challenging our industry is. Even if you enjoy it, it doesn't make it not challenging. Um, so for coaches, right? Like we we as mentors, we talk to people all the time about full time staff, part time staff. Um, I was in the I was in the really awesome situation where four full timers other than me, so five total. Um, and then a, a larger team of full-time staff as well. And just, you know, due to the nature of life and priority changes and needs and wants, and to- again, totally acceptable things, uh, we lost a couple, we lost a full-timer and a couple part-timers around the same time. Um, I didn't know that another full-timer was on their way out. That was the exciting thing. Um, so it was, it was becoming pretty clear that, like, our organization was becoming bigger than the team that I wanted to work with wanted to manage, you know? Um, that's what I said at the beginning of this, like the gyms were profitable. Like that's, that's an important thing. This wasn't like an emergency scenario, but when we're newer in business, I think, and you tell me if you feel the same way, there's a lot of scrapping, like grabbing anything you can, just kind of like trying to come up for air, like do whatever you can. And the more mature you get in business, the more you realize that like, there are times where it's maybe not worth the effort to do the thing, you know? Um, that doesn't mean yeah. be lazy and sit on your thumb, but like a certain thing stops you from doing other things, you know? Um, yeah. Well, I mean, at one point you, you wanted like five gyms, right? Mm-hmm. Like, mm-hmm. so, you know, uh, maybe talk about that. I don't know if identity shift is, is the word is the phrase, but like this idea that like, you're the multi-location guy. And now you're going through this process of and very hard decision making of consolidating down to one. 
Yeah, identity shift is a really good way to put it because it, it did require that. Like you said, I had kind of my identity had been like, especially in two brand, the guy with multiple locations. I'd help I helped other people open up their gyms. I helped other people manage their large staff. Um, the very specific leadership concerns that come with levels of leadership instead of just you know the owner and the people who work for them. Um, yeah, so I'd done that for many years uh, and. I'm gonna be honest, man. It was it was becoming increasingly clear that it wasn't fulfilling. You know, um, I had this really I had this eye opening moment uh, probably a year and a half ago, um, where I was like, okay, the amount of people I want to help, like we can accomplish that with these two locations. You know, like meaning the amount of money staff needed to make to live uh, fulfilling, comfortable lives the amount of members we could actually help and realistically have relationships with, like, like we can do that too. I don't need to get to five. So why make it more complex if we can avoid that, you know? Um, and man, that realization changed a lot of my goals going forward, you know? Cause like you said, I was trying to open a five, uh, that could have happened already. Like there's the holdup to that was me, you know? Um, but I'm glad it didn't because that realization that two was providing everything I needed for both me and my staff and my members also helped me understand that one could do the same thing, you know? And uh, like when you opened your gym, how many years ago? Five? Um, coming up on seven, actually. 2017. Seven, sorry, seven, seven. Seven. <clears throat> when you first opened yours, you really understood like, how much these things could really provide for people, you know? You know, you're you were the most prepared gym owner, so maybe that's not true for you. But um, I don't know, like for me, like I think the the thoughts of like what could this do? Like, could I pay staff? You know, like that right. was never a guarantee. Right. Having full time staff days. was yeah. such a, a pipe dream. Right, exactly. Like, let alone me being paid for the owner. Like could right. we provide a really good service that staff wanted to do well and receive that service well? Sure, sure. When newer, we don't see that. Mm -hmm. I know that, like, the first one to expand, I thought that to accomplish these goals, I had to expand horizontally. I thought that that was something we had to accomplish. I thought there was a real ceiling to our growth, you know? Um, and what, what expanding horizontally taught me was that, like, oh, that's not true. Like, you can expand much it's more not the only than way. you probably think. Yeah, you know? And yeah. right, it's not the only way. That's actually the more important thing than what I just said. It's not the only way. Right. Maybe it's not in your gym, you know? Yeah. This is the same realization, uh, even with one location of realizing, you know, so many people focus on more members, more members, more mm -hmm. members. Mm -hmm. And then when you get to that point of realizing, uh, you know what, I can actually have about 150 members. And as long as they're paying for a premium service and they're paying premium rates or enough so that our, what we call ARM, average revenue per member can go up. Well, I don't need. 500 members right and it's a similar analogy to locations like i don't need five locations to have a full-time staff pay them enough that this is you know their main source of income also make enough for myself make investments like treat this as a real real career and not a, a hobby gym you know yeah yes yeah like right like there was a point at my gym many years ago where we had almost 300 members and we're a much better business now. We do not have three. You know? Right. Uh, right. 
Yeah. So, so that was a really long winded way to say it wasn't being fulfilled. What we were doing, my staff were not living tangibly better lives because of this complexity. You know, like it was not helping them for me to be carrying the burden of this extreme challenge, especially with the staffing change. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, I talked to my key players. I talked to you. I talked to a couple of my friends. We, we talked to our staff. We, we kind of, we just bounced ideas around and, and like there was a thing I knew I was feeling, but I didn't have words or a name for it. You know, um, that was what, that was the realization that like, I don't actually enjoy doing this anymore. Still enjoy helping people. I still, I still really enjoy that. I love coaching classes. I love being in the gym. I love doing all the gym related things. Um, I don't really like working out a lot much, but I like the other stuff. Uh, the, the, I didn't want out of this, but I wanted out of the type of industry I put myself into, you know, where I was now right. a manager of locations, a facilitator of facilities and not a gym owner, you know? Yep. So, um, what, what did that look like? Um, you know, in terms of like the notice you sent out, um, did you offer those members to come over, even though you say people don't cross the river, like, was that an option to come on over? Um, what did the staff do? Did they come over to, you know, your main location? You know, what, what did that all look like? Yeah. The hardest part of this was that we had a, we had four years left on a five-year lease, right? Um, because Last year, uh, during Hurricane Ian, our place got real jacked up. So we had to move uh, unexpectedly. There's a massive expense associated with that. Um, we moved into one of the only places available, which was not a super advantageous lease. Um, and it, we had four years left on it. Um, I had a personal guarantee, so we couldn't just back out of it. Um, so going back to personal relationships, um, there was another broker that I knew years ago. I messaged her and I said, this is the situation. I'd like to make a change. Do you think you can help me out? Um, I fully expected a sorry, that sucks, man. Uh, instead, I got, yeah, I'll come by tomorrow. I'll take some pictures and I'll, I'll show it to some other people. And um, I would expect any response. Yeah, when you sign a five-year lease and then you're looking to get out after one year, you're not expecting them to be like, okay. Yeah, well, so I think this is really important to anyone who's made it this far into my story, especially if you're a business owner. I think it's important to reiterate this point. that These are business decisions, not personal decisions, even though they're extremely emotional to us. In my mind, I definitely struggled with the idea, like, I signed a five-year lease. Like, why are they letting me out of this? Like, what, what are they standing to gain from this, even though it's important to me? Right. In their mind, they were just like, oh, we can just charge somebody else more money. Like this is a fine. This is a financial and yeah. business decision. There was not anything emotion based. So I think that, like, oftentimes as business owners, we'll not not speak, not attempt, because we've mm-hmm. we've associated this like emotion with it. When really, like, if the numbers make sense, that's usually the solution. You know. Yeah, or we're transferring our thoughts onto what they would do when it's. And you're right. Like, they're not just being nice to you to be yeah, nice. Right. They're not helping me. Like, and, and I, I'm happy that they There's did. an advantage where if they can get the one in who's going to pay more per square foot, mm-hmm. that's a great business decision on their part. And that's exactly what they did. They ran it out to another person. They, they're they now paying more than I was because inflation over the time. And kind of everybody won. 
the, the, the confusing part during that time was that there was a lot of ambiguity as to like, is this for sure happening? When is it happening? Um, because we had some, some confusing scenario, like full transparency. Like I didn't want to keep taking people's money if we were going to shut down, you know? Mm-hmm. But I also didn't want to say we were going to shut down if it was going to be nine months from now, you know? Right. Yep. Um, Timing so it was, was super up in the air. Yeah. yeah, it was really important to me to, to be, to one, run my business and pay my staff as they were expecting. You know, like that was really important. I can't do that without income. But it was also really important to me to take advantage of people to not, like, like ethically, I didn't want, like if our membership was going to, if we were going to close on December 1st, I didn't want them to bill a membership on November 28th. Like that was really important to me. So um, as each stage of like, this is all arbitrary, but as I got more comfortable with like the communications I was having with the broker and it looked more and more realistic, we started shutting things down. One of the first things we did was we closed the website for that gym, you know, that way mm. we couldn't take any, we couldn't, couldn't take receive new members. Yeah. It was very important. We didn't bring anybody on. I, Especially in a business where, like, you and me know we care so much about the people we work with. I would have felt incredibly disingenuous if I'd signed somebody up knowing we wouldn't be there, you know? Right. Um, Right. So we didn't. We didn't sign anybody up from the time that I knew we were shutting down. Um, We uh, eventually we shut down um, some of the social media related stuff. We eventually collapsed in one buying software. We we lowered our expenses while still providing the same like high level coaching service that we had been doing this whole time. Our staff, real credit to them. This was a very challenging portion for them. They did an amazing job. They, they provided great service. They never let slip anything they weren't supposed to be letting slip, but they also never lied to anybody. That was really important. Was, the, the narrowest version of that story is like, I don't want you to tell people. If they ask, don't lie. You know? Right. Right, and they all did that. It's fantastic. So, did um, did members come over? Um, did is the staff uh, at the now at the main location? What does that look like? Yeah, um, so we offered all the members to come over. Um, we offered them a deal to come across the bridge because uh, it just literally cost money to cross the bridge between these two cities. Um, <laughs> we also gave everybody who didn't want to come a personalized recommendation uh, to a gym in there in the area that would make sense for them if, if we weren't going to be the fit, which I I would have understood. Um, we refunded all the days that they weren't available to use from whatever their last billing cycle was. So nobody had any money taken from them that they didn't use. Like very importantly, everybody was given a personalized recommendation. Like I know these members, the coaches know them. If they're a little more bougie, we send them to a more bougie place. If they were looking for more of like a grungy, CrossFit, sweaty vibe, we send them to there. Right. If they had been a personal training client, I referred them to personal trainers. I was friends with them at their gyms. Mm. Um, we, we did our best. I mean, like, you know, not everyone's going to be happy. And I understand that we, we did what I think was the best possible thing for those people. Um, staffing wise, we, we retained our staff. They came over uh, to the other location, um, which is nice. Cause it relieved the pressure a little bit of our staff at our main location. Uh, and then, yeah, you know, that all officially went down mid December. Right. So now we're, into running with just one location in our new place. And you also had to fit out your new location while shutting down another location. And by fitting out, I mean being on some sketchy scaffolding or whatever you're on to paint high ceilings and doing you know, your own construction. 
Yeah, the, the story that we don't have enough time to tell is that I was building out an entire, me and my staff were building out an entire location. Yes. Uh, as these two things were going on because we, we shut down two physical while building out another one. And all Correct. of these things happened. This, every, everything I've talked about here happened in about a two month period. So. Yeah, you were not sleeping. Nope. Um, and you don't drink not. coffee, but you were having plenty of energy drinks. I was, I should have invested in a couple cause I, I raised their <laughs> capital quite a bit. <laughs> yeah. I think the lessons, uh, I mean, to me, the lessons are, you know, from the building, uh, purchase attempt, uh, you know, make connections with people, um, get into masterminds, get into groups where people talk about this stuff. Cause mm-hmm. a lot of the opportunity that came to you came from these, these groups that you're in, um, and people that you've met. Um, two, don't be, don't be afraid to ask, like, don't be afraid to put it out there in terms of what you want. And that mm-hmm. goes for like the building purchase, like the landlord, but also like the people that, you know, looking for money, right. You had to, you had to do it. You, that was your only option to put it out there, but the result was a lot better or, you know, overwhelmingly good compared to what you thought would happen. Mm-hmm. Um, and then shutting down the other gym, I mean, it's a business decision, right? Like it's an identity shift, but it also is looking at the numbers and just realizing, you know what, between my lifestyle, between the management aspect of it, and then between the numbers, you know, it would be better to focus your attention on your main location, grow that, get deep with your people there, than try to be spread too thin across two locations. Yeah, I think a really important thing for that is we'll tell my head multiple locations. I didn't understand this feeling until later, but I, like, I, can, I can communicate. It felt like I had multiple families I was trying to balance, you know? Yeah. And mm-hmm. I didn't feel great because I knew that I wasn't giving any of those families all of me that I wanted to give them. And, you know, families are the staff, the, the members, the people that are connected to it. We're, we're a community-based business, right? Like, I know my members and also know their spouses' names. And if they have a bad day at work, I know what they do for them. Like these are things that I really, I really value from our business. And having multiple locations made it so that it was just like worse at both, you know? Um, we're, we're a little over a month into just having one now. And I'll be honest, man, it reminded me why I love being a gym owner so much, you know? Like, that's cool. It's love what we do. I love how we get to interact with people. It's awesome. Awesome. All right, yeah. we got to wrap things up. But um, yeah, if people have questions, um, hit us up and uh, let us know because we can expand more on that. And uh, next time we'll talk about Sweden. Yeah, let's talk about Sweden. Coaches conference. All right, see you, buddy.